There's got to be an explanation to all these UFO sightings, right? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. The Joyce Kaufman Podcast is being brought to you by Code Red Roofers, South Florida's leading residential and commercial roof experts. Code Red Roofers, roofers that respond. Call 844-4-CODE-RED or visit coderedroofers.com. And I'm just so grateful, as I know so many of the people in my listening audience are, just grateful that we have men and women who will serve to protect us, men and women who actually care about this country deeply. And I was thinking the other day when I was telling the story about how we are now soliciting soldiers from foreign lands and offering them in exchange for their service in our military a citizenship. I never thought I would really see that day, but we've been heading in that direction for quite some time, so I guess I shouldn't be surprised. And at least I can make a better case for saying if you're willing to fight and die for this country, well, then maybe you love it enough to be a citizen. That, my friends, is not, uh, not something I probably would have said even a few months ago. But uh, I'm really concerned. I know there are a lot of people out there who are really concerned about the status and the condition of the United States military right now. And you should be. You should be concerned because we've got some really scary stuff on the horizon. There's a headline today that Cuba and Iranian presidents were meeting in Havana and the substance for Iranian President Ibrahim Raisi to meet with Miguel Diaz-Canal were to, uh, to fight back against uh, Yankee imperialism. Exactly who do you think they're talking about? We're the Yankees, and they think we're the imperialists. Raisi was with the uh, Venezuelan leadership, leaders of oil, and he pledged to ramp up uh, trade with them and to get more involved in their petrochemicals. We know China has got a spy base now in Cuba, And we're not particularly confident that our military is going to be able to manage all these hotspots. As a matter of fact, let me restate that. We are definitely lacking confidence in that. Venezuela, Nicaragua, Cuba, Iran, these are the countries that have had to, you know, we've had to have sanctions on them, we've had blockades on them, and so... Diaz-Canal refers to that as Yankee imperialism. But that's not what it is. It's trying to keep some peace. And the uh, visit had uh, Diaz-Canal, the Cuban leader, say that this visit reinforced our conviction that we have in Iran a friendly nation in the Middle East with which to confide and talk about the most complex global issues. Okay. 
Meanwhile, the Zionist Organization of America just pulled back a news release that they sent this morning. You know, I'm one of these people, you can't get much past me. You know, I spotted that Chiron that said wannabe dictator, and, you know, my husband was like, what? I don't know what you're talking about. I didn't see that. And then, of course, we were taping it, so we were able to play it back, and there it was. And now it's a scandal. Oh, my gosh, you can't call. And I said to my husband, in all fairness, I said to him, you're not, you cannot call a sitting president a wannabe dictator. You just can't. Um, he may be, but you have to be very circumspect about that on a news program, right? And on the program, the two presidents, Trump and Biden, were both on screens delivering speeches. And so, uh, you know, that, that was problematic. And, and I agree, it probably was not uh, in, the, in the best taste. But if you look at our website later today, the video that I put up on our daily download is actually Tucker Carlson's latest from yesterday in where he addresses the fact that that uh, producer, who is, by the way, a leftover from the Tucker Carlson show, that he was uh, let go. I guess because, uh, you know, they, they realized they put him in a vulnerable position. But ZOA put out a press release this morning, and I was so excited about it that I printed it out. And I go back to my email about 20 minutes before I go on the air, and there's an apology from the Zionist Organization of America, and a with drawl of the news release, which is really rare. Like Morton Klein and the ZOA, they don't usually pull back anything. So this was odd because what they were trying to claim in this, uh, in the redaction or whatever you call it, was that they weren't endorsing Robert F. Kennedy Jr. They were just and that's not what, the, it didn't say they were endorsing him. I'll, I'll read it to you because you won't be able to read it yourself. They're taking it down. It says, ZOA applauds Robert F. Kennedy Jr.'s opposition to the Iran deal and strong support for Israel. Robert F. Kennedy Jr. today announced his opposition to the GCPOA, the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action, also known as the Iran nuclear deal, first announced on July 14th of 2015 and currently being brought back for consideration by the Biden administration. I oppose the JCPOA. The U.S. ought to stop any and all attempts to revive it. This agreement was flawed from the beginning. These are the words of RFK Jr. Iran's nuclear intentions remain ambiguous, even as its nuclear infrastructure has advanced. Leading analysts believe Iran is imminently capable of producing a nuclear, nuclear weapon. As president, I will not permit Israel's security to be endangered. Like, to be put at risk or to take actions that promote a nuclear arms race in the Middle East. Nuclear proliferation must be a top priority, whether in Iran or elsewhere. In order to ensure the security of Israel, and indeed the Iranian people, Iran must not be allowed to develop nuclear weapons. This is non-negotiable. It will require, at the very least, constant vigilance and stringent verification. Under a, president, uh, under a Kennedy presidency, the U.S. will be prepared to defend Israel and to simultaneously pursue a policy which leads to normalization of relations with Iran, 
which will be possible only with strict security guarantees. We will also set a new standard for international behavior. The United States has historical culpability for much of the tension in the region, which is partly the result of our regrettable history of regime change operations, coups, and support for despotic regimes in Iran and elsewhere. Now, why would you withdraw that ZOA would be my question. Um, you may not be endorsing him, but you certainly should be endorsing that idea. Is there anybody out there who's comfortable with a, a nuclear Iran? Because I'm not. You know, I'm not comfortable with the idea that uh, we now have a guy setting immigration policy for this Biden Harris administration who claims that it's not a battle of good versus evil, that the perpetrators were not driven on September 11th by some intrinsic evil or inherent hatred of the good United States. And this man, Ramzi Kassam, literally went on to argue that Al-Qaeda was the result of the resentment these terrorists feel towards the United States as a result of our country's policies. And two decades later, now he's a, a, a City University of New York law professor. He's uh, been a lawyer for a prominent terrorist, claimed in a Washington Post op-ed that since 9-11, the government has consistently used the law to enable, operationalize, and justify the violence it has deployed against Muslims. I beg your pardon. And you're the senior policy advisor for immigration at the White House domestic policy. So what should we be looking forward to? Far more people coming from nations that uh, mean us no good, nations where terrorists are harbored, where terrorists are encouraged, where terrorists are actually paid stipends if they're able to commit terrorist acts against Israel. Is that? Is that Syrian national who grew up in Lebanon Iraq and other Islamic terror states, is that who's in charge of de establishing policy for immigration? You know, everybody has to decide what side you're on. I've been saying this for years, but I'm really going to be saying it every day from now on. Some people, you know, they're very extreme in college. I was one of them, you know, but they leave that behind after their college years. And they build a career. And this guy, Ramzi Kassam, built a career around defending Gitmo clients. You know, clients who flew planes or their brothers flew planes or bombed oil tankers. And, and the best part is he, you know, lawyers represent clients, but they do it for money. Not Kassam. He works pro bono. That's right. He justifies terrorism as a reaction to victims. But meanwhile, I got to be told that the people who went up to Washington on January 6th were terrorists. Not that they were, um, you know, uh, reacting to what was going on in their country. No, 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 no. They weren't protesting. They were terrorists. But not the guys who flew the planes in the building. Come on. Completely different. When he was at Columbia University, he co-founded an association of Muslim students and then another one at Columbia Law. And they brought speakers to those campuses that supported not just 
conversation about America and Israeli civilians, they defended genocidal programs that Hamas had in place. One speaker, who's even been disavowed by uh, many of Americans' pro-Palestinian activists, before he went to Colombia, had said that Jews exist only to dip their matzahs in the blood of Palestinians. I mean, this is, this is Palestinian children. You've got to make it the worst it can be. That's blood libel. But here, that's where we are today. You know, you have to withdraw you know, a Chiron that says, uh, wannabe dictator. What would you call somebody who prosecutes his political opposition during a presidential election season? Sounds dictatorial to me, that's all. You know, and, and Tucker Carlson lays out that case beautifully on episode four of Tucker. By the way, 90 million views Tucker had. If you add up all the cable news stations, and you add up probably every show on all the cable news stations, you're not going to hit 90 million. Now, I don't know how many people actually watched the whole thing or how many people might have watched it more than once. I don't. I don't know how you measure those things. I don't know how Twitter is going to be able to establish just how many complete views by just how many dis different people that represents. But 90 million hits of anything is unbelievable. It's a much bigger audience that's now available to him. And so you would tend to think, what, what is the entire cable television audience? What do you think? You know, let's add it all up. Cable news, rather. Cable news audience, maybe... Uh, I'm going to say 10 million, I think 10 million people, maybe even 15 million people watch cable news at some point. If you get 90 million hits on a Twitter 10-minute show, what does that mean? Did the tree fall in the forest? No, the tree came crashing down on all the other trees is what happened. It's the future. And, I, and I'm kind of excited by it because... You know, I'm one of these people who was always thinking, when's the next shoe going to drop on cable news, on, on, on talk radio? Because there's always that potential. So what's the future? You know, uh, I think uh, Tucker Carlson is blazing the future. I think Glenn Beck was trying to blaze the future. He was a little premature, but I think it's coming. I think Elon Musk. I think Jordan Peterson. I think definitely Joe Rogan. These guys have made a whole new platform available, whether it's Substack, whether it's uh, Twitter, whatever it is, Rumble, these are alternatives, and apparently they're doing rather well, and there's a good reason that they're doing rather well, because the mainstream news is totally bankrupt, and the cable news, where some of us could find some programming that we thought enlightened us, is now just as bankrupt. So it's going to be an interesting. Uh, it's going to be an interesting couple of years because we have a presidential election, and people are going to want to know. Or do you believe that people have already all made up their minds? Could we hold the election today? Because if we did, Donald Trump would be the president. Just saying. I'm for it. You know why let Joe Biden, you know, pitter patter and fall down for the next year and a half? Let's just have the election today. We don't obey any other rules of election rules. So let's do it. I'm all for it. Maybe we'll start a petition. 
All right. Don't forget to download the 850 app or visit the 850 website, 850wftl.com, so you can participate in our contests. You can download podcasts and shows that you may have missed and all that good stuff right there. And in the meantime, I'll take a quick break, and I will be back. Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. So there's going to be a whole bunch of uh, Supreme Court decisions coming out, and uh, I, I'm interested. But there was one last week that I wanted to talk about, and everything just got crazy with the indictment and all that stuff, so we didn't really get to it. And um, it was a, a key case, really, when you think about it. it. It struck down Alabama's electoral map for congressional elections, and it was a 5-4 ruling, and the court found that a map that had been drafted by state Republican lawmakers violated the provisions of the Federal Voting Rights Act that mandates that states not racially gerrymander districts. The ruling requires the state to adopt a different map before the 2024 elections, which would benefit House Democrats. Chief Justice John Roberts and Justice Brett Kavanaugh who were appointed by Republican presidents, joined the members of the Supreme Court who were appointed by Democratic presidents in the ruling. Clarence Thomas was among four other justices who were appointed by Republicans to disagree with the ruling. Writing in his dissent, Thomas argued that the Supreme Court's majority ruling that a section of the 1965 Voting Rights Act that bans gerrymandering based on race is nothing more than a racial entitlement to roughly proportional control of elective offices, limited only by feasibility, wherever different racial groups consistently prefer different candidates. Meanwhile, he added, the Voting Rights Act doesn't mandate that Alabama intentionally redraw its longstanding congressional districts so that black voters can control a number of seats roughly proportionate to the black share of the state's population. At the outset, I would resolve these cases in a way that would not require the federal judiciary to decide the correct racial apportionment of Alabama's congressional seats, Thomas said. The majority goes to great lengths to fossilize all of the worst aspects of our long deplorable vote dilution jurisprudence, adding that it virtually ignores Alabama's primary argument that whatever the benchmark is, it must be race neutral choosing instead to quixotically joust with an imaginary adversary. And then people ask me, why is he your favorite Supreme Court justice? Well, he is because um, Scalia died. And then Clarence Thomas began writing the more serious conservative opinions. And you should read this. I mean, I know a lot of people out there get all, uh, you don't have to read the entire opinion. You know, it's a 50-page dissent. That's lengthy. I like to read them, but there are a couple of good synopsises. There's a couple of good summaries that you can read. Go to the Epic Times, for instance. There's one uh, that they have up there, which is marvelous. It tells you everything you need to know. 
Under the court's precedence, a district is not equally open when minority voters face, unlike their majority peers, block voting along racial lines, arising against the backdrop of substantial racial discrimination within the state that renders a minority vote unequal to a vote by a non-minority voter. Kavanaugh wrote that the preceding case helped determine that Alabama's arguments were incorrect. You know, it, th these are complicated decisions. Uh, they're politically fraught decisions, and it's going to be very interesting because uh, separately, the Supreme Court this coming fall is going to hear South Carolina's appeal of a lower court ruling that found that Republican lawmakers allegedly stripped black voters from a district to make it safer for a Republican candidate. Now, let me tell you something. They've done that in Florida. They won't be doing it anymore, but it has been done. So it'll be interesting to see how the Supreme Court goes in this. You know, what's the difference between democracy and fairness? Well, that's complicated. I'm not going to get into that. I only have a couple of minutes left in this segment. Um, we'll be checking in with my son, Derek, at the uh, final segment. But I, I got to tell you, what we've seen going on in the last couple of weeks is really uh, more than nerve-wracking. And I think a lot of us are very uncomfortable at the direction that's being taken in this country. You know, over the next seven years, the Democrats campaign, or actually over the last seven years, the Democrats campaigned to decapitate their political opposition went into just such extraordinary levels of deceit. They characterized his life. He was a guy who supported school choice programs for everybody. He was really like a liberal, a pragmatic liberal. He wanted to benefit inner city minority kids. He was given award after award from the likes of, uh, you know, Jesse Jackson and, and, and even the, the, the guy with the alien head. And now he's a bigot. Now he's a white supremacist. And then they tried to take him out of the 2015 presidential run. They said, hey, hey, uh, the U.S. intelligence agencies have to, uh, you know, violate FISA laws, spy on his campaign, harass everybody involved in his campaign, and then finally concoct a phony dossier paid for by the opposition party and portray him as a traitor, as somebody who colluded with the Russians. They're back to the same game plan. Now he's a traitor. Now he's treasonous. Once they formed the resistance to his presidency, that was it. They never accepted the result of the 2016 election, and they have never stopped trying to take him out, make him an unperson, eradicate him from public life. And just before they voted you know, not to impeach uh, private citizen Trump in, in February 2021, Chuck Schumer got up there and publicly vowed that if the Senate did not did convict him as Senate Majority Leader, he would hold a vote to block Trump from ever holding public office again. And the legal basis offered for that ban was a very questionable interpretation of the 14th Amendment, which in case you forgot, 
was designed to prevent leaders of the Confederacy who had engaged in an armed rebellion from holding office in the government against which they had declared war. Donald Trump didn't declare war against the government. Except I guess if you're a Democrat, you think the deep state is the government. And he certainly declared war then. And if you're listening to him these days, he has declared an all-out war on these bureaucrats in the deep state. And I think the American public is 100% behind him. I really do. I, I don't think even liberal Democrats want to discuss that. So you make them. You know, I, I spoke on Wednesday night and I was telling people, I am so tired of people being afraid to push back and to tell people what you think and what you believe and what you know to be true. Democrats have no filters for their Trump hatred. You know, you can't even say make America great or make America great again or America first. You can't say those things because they're affiliated with Donald Trump. But actually, they're just deeply patriotic themes of his presidency. And guess what? There's a whole lot of us who feel the same way. But we're afraid to make our case. Start making your case. Please don't accept all this nonsense of being cowed by the idiots. And that's what they are. They are idiots. Because I'm going to tell you now, if you want to be in the position I'm going to be in when Trump wins, start fighting now. That's right. Start fighting now so that you're on the right side of this. And you stop paying attention to Bill Barr and Ann Coulter and all these people who got their he their feelings got hurt by Donald Trump and they just don't like him. Well, okay, yeah, uh, I, I, it's not a popularity contest, although elections sort of feel that way, don't they? It's actually a decision the American people make who can best lead this nation at this moment. Okay, and you know, if you're going to indict. Donald Trump on 37 felony charges for essentially one allegedly criminal act, the only reason you're doing it is to give him a death penalty, 500 years in prison or whatever it is. In the meantime, the Biden government doing the same thing. Eh, we're not going to pay any attention to that. Oh, and by the way, those, those uh, large amounts of money that were given to his son, his brother, and everybody else, pay no attention to the shiny thing. Look in the other hand. They're ripping you off. All right, let me take a break. We'll be right back. So many stories, right? And, you know, and now you got these dummies coming out, making all kinds of assertions. Uh, people that we have no confidence in them anyway. Uh, who is this guy, Joe Scarborough, in the morning there, who's now saying that the former president held on to government secrets after leaving the White House for financial reasons. <laughs> really? He seems to have an enormous amount of wealth. So that would be his motivation? Scarborough again attempted to clarify he was only theorizing about Trump's motives, saying, I'm not saying he did it, but we would be foolish to be thinking that he's just keeping all of the information because he's just a weird, quirky dude. Uh, you just, you know, you don't, you don't even want to read stuff anymore. It's like it, uh, on some days I get up, today was one of those days. I'll share with you what my whole experience was this morning. I got up at 5.15 and I said to myself, I don't want to get up. 
Now, I, I'd had a kind of a crazy dream, something personal, and then I said, well, let me get up and, you know, I'll, I'll feel better if I, you know, get my day started, do my prayers, and maybe even have a cup of coffee, you know, then I'll feel better. And I'll start to look, after I finish my prayer and meditation, I'll start to look at the news. Within five minutes, I, uh, I couldn't. I couldn't even bear the stories that were appearing. And it wasn't as bad a day as yesterday. How about that? Harry and Megan uh, are off of Spotify. How many seasons did that last? I should probably ask Derek when he comes on. Because I have no idea. I didn't even know it was on. I mean, I heard a rumor, but like, what do you have? Is Spotify got videos? I thought it was just music. Anyway, Spotify and a production company owned by Prince Harry and Meghan, the Duchess of Sussex, are ending their partnership. Spotify and Archwell Audio have mutually agreed to part ways and are proud of the series we made together, the two companies say. The collaboration, first announced in 2020, produced just a holiday special and a single series. Archetypes, Megan's much-buzzed-about Spotify podcast, debuted last year. It was one of a pair of high-profile, multi-year deals the couple struck in recent years. Harry and Meghan, who stepped down as full-time working members of the British royal family and moved to California in 2020, also inked a production deal that year with Netflix to create content that gives hope. <laughs> Schwarzenegger says that Donald Trump's not going to run and won't win, and that if he could run, he could win. You can't run. You weren't born here. I'm sorry. And you're the Terminator, and you made a lousy governor. So we'll see. What we love about podcasting is that it reminds all of us to take a moment and to really listen, to connect to one another without distraction, they said in a joint statement. So maybe that's my future. You know, I have to really start weighing options as you see these various pretty impressive uh, radio per personalities and television personalities opt out of the main venues that they've used historically, whether it's radio or cable TV news. You know, they're finding alternatives. They go to Rumble. They go to, well, apparently Spotify. I didn't know that. They go to Twitter now. So I, I'm going to be, you know, just making some inquiries. How, how do you do it? You know, how do you make money on these platforms? Because that's the one piece I've never been able to free, uh, figure out. But now that I see them all doing it, there's got to be a financial incentive. I'm telling you, there has got to be a financial incentive. All right. Um, what, oh, you know, a lot of people have been asking me why I am not or have not spoken about these 20 Republicans who basically wouldn't sign on the censure vote. And I guess I keep saying something that's making them a little upset with me. But I never expected this, um, these members of the House to do all the right things. They just don't do all the right things. 
And I can't tell you why they make bad choices because it probably has a lot to do with the condition of their own state and what exactly their constituents are talking about. But I can tell you this. Remember the names of the 20 Republicans who joined the Democrats in stopping censure of Adam Schiff. Just, just remember their names because it's important. And remember that the one thing about Tim Scott is that anyone who upsets the Obamas is a friend of mine, really. He took a jab at President Obama because the president criticized the uh, GOP presidential contender over his remarks about race and racial progress in the country. Let us not forget we are a land of opportunity, not a land of oppression. Democrats deny our progress to protect their power. The left wants you to believe in America is a fraud and progress in our nation is a myth, Scott said in a statement Thursday. The truth of my life disproves the lies of the radical left. We live in a country where little black and brown boys and girls can be president of the United States. The truth is we've had one and the good news is we will have another. The South Carolina Republicans' remarks are in response to comments Obama made during a podcast interview with his former White House senior advisor, David Axelrod, that was published on Thursday. The former president, who was asked about Scott's messaging on race, suggested Scott was not offering solutions for how to tackle systematic racism within the country or acknowledging the difficulties black Americans face. Which, by the way, Tim Scott is actually a black American whose single mom raised him, and Barack Obama's not. Dan Bongino's coming up at 1 o'clock, Ben Shapiro at 4 o'clock, the WPTV News at 6 o'clock. I think Matt Walsh is in there at 5. But I'm going to break now so we can talk with my son Derek from TMZ. Stay there. ...doesn't fall far from the tree. But in the case of Derek Kaufman, the apple rolled all the way to L.A. The one thing Derek and his mother share in common, however, is the love for breaking news. TMZ is breaking news faster than the New York Times. So sit back and enjoy the news from Hollywood as only the Kaufman family can bring it. Well, the first thing I have to say to my son is uh, he has finally reached the level of superstar since he was able to host TMZ this week. Um, I guess Harvey needed a vacation, right? Yeah, listen, when the when the cat's away, the mice will play, or the inmates run in the asylum. I'm not sure exactly which metaphor is appropriate, but I got to do a walkout and everything, right on the board, have a sippy cup. It was a lot of fun. And you did a fabulous job. I know I'm your mother, but, uh, you know, talent is talent. It shines through. So when you take over... Yeah, you're a little biased, but I, I look, I love being in that room. I know everyone so well, so it was, it was just, uh, it, it felt good. Okay, so here's the question. When you become the host of that show, because eventually Harvey's going to want to do something else, he's always coming up with new ideas, will you hire your mother? Oh, of course. I mean, we're going to need a political commentator, right? A That's correspondent right. in Florida, but that, I'll, I'll only do it if you come out to the West Coast. How about that? A deal. You got a deal. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I, listen, how many stories have their, you know, their genesis in Florida? Connor McGregor punched out uh, you know, somebody in the heat arena. 
Yeah, this is he's had quite a week. Um, you yeah. know, we don't hear a lot about Connor uh, anymore because he's his fighting days are a little bit behind him. But you know, he knocked out uh, Bernie during the game, and the guy ends up going to the hospital. And now there's a very serious allegation uh, that he sexually assaulted a woman, and it's yeah. pretty serious. You know, the woman says she was uh, forcefully led into a bathroom uh, where he then assaulted her. Now, a video has come out uh, that shows him leading her into the bathroom, and his attorneys say, well, she's going to have to change her story because this doesn't look forceful. It looks like he grabs her by the hand and, and brings her into the restroom. Now, we don't know what went on in there. I don't think this necessarily solves the case, but it does paint a bit of a different picture of what was going on that evening. And let me ask you a question. Isn't he a married guy with a couple of kids? Yeah, you know, he does have some kids, and he has he does have a relationship, so I'm sure that complication for him is something he's dealing with on top of this. But obviously most important now is, is, is that this is a, an allegation of a, of a crime being committed, and Connor is not new to this. He's been uh, sort of accused of these things in the past. Um, he does have a bit of a, a, a temper and things of that nature, although this doesn't look like a violent attack of any sort, but it's hard to know what went on in that bathroom. And it's not the first time he's faced allegations like this. Now, he says this is a shakedown, plain and simple. It's clear that she went into the restroom consensually, but I'm not so sure um, because you don't know what happens behind uh, closed doors. And, and right. after the door is shut, we don't know what went on in there. Yeah. Well, listen, I, but there's video, so I think that's uh, you know that's going to be looked at very carefully. They got all kinds of way, unless it's uh, artificial intelligence video, which nowadays I can't tell the difference sometimes. Yeah, you know it's it's gotten very good, but his his attorneys are, are saying that that's that's the video, and her, her counsel says, listen, she had a lot of drinks that night. Their story is turning into more of a narrative that maybe she wasn't uh, of sound mind to consent. So we'll have to see how this develops. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, it's going to be complicated. But he, he, why did he punch Bernie? That's the part I'm still trying to figure out. You know, I think this was all a bit gone wrong. I think he went out there. You know, Bernie had the gloves on. I think it was supposed to be good fun, and maybe he thought there was more padding in that in that headpiece. Uh, but Conor McGregor is a trained fighter, so him uncorking a punch can go right through a, a little bit of felt. Yeah, and and Bernie is definitely. Uh, not a macho guy. He's a character. You know? <laughs> Look that way. No, he's a, he's a character with a big orange head or something. I, I I can barely remember what Bernie looked like. I didn't even remember that was his name. How about that? Well, but the yeah, other. I'm not even sure he's humanoid. I think he's like a flame come to life who uh, right. you know pumps up the crowd. But he's no apparently. Yeah, and not a tough guy. That's for sure. Well, the other story that really I thought was kind of crazy, and everybody in a certain generation has known about this for a long time. Apparently, Taylor Swift has some very unusual fans, one of whom has quite a large following of his own and goes to all her concerts and behaves, what I would say, as a groupie. Yeah, you know, this is an unlikely pair, but maybe not so unlikely when you think about it. It's Flavor Flav, who is (laughs) the consummate public enemy hype man for decades. And this is what he does best. He hypes people up. And he is saying, look, I love Taylor Swift. I see greatness. I know what greatness is. And I got no shame in that. And you may think it's uh, not my cup of tea, but my cup of tea is people who sell out arenas and are absolute phenomenons. And you can't take it away from Taylor Swift. He's a fan. He knows it when he sees it. And he's going to keep promoting her. And just, I mean, his dancing around and, and doing things that, like, normal Taylor Swift fans do, it was very strange to watch. 
It is, but it isn't. You know, like in order for someone to be this popular, and Taylor Swift is gigantic. You know, selling over a hundred million records. She she is the pop star of pop stars, and it makes sense that she would have fans across uh, the generations. It's not it's not just teen girls that are going to Taylor Swift concerts. If, if she's selling out this many arenas, gotta have fans of all ages, and, and the sixty four year old uh, hype man from Public Enemy is one of them. I guess. Finally, Meghan Markle and Prince Harry. What, what was their, their Spotify podcast lasted 10 seasons, three seasons? How many? No, not even. I mean, this is this is a ridiculous One. statement that has been released. So it's over now. Right. They had a podcast deal that was reportedly worth $20 million. Mm. And in order for a podcast to make $20 million to pay its talent, you got to generate a lot of content, and it's got to be really popular. It's got to be like Joe Rogan, Joe Rogan. Yeah. Uh, popularity, and I don't think they had it. So this mm-hmm. joint statement says, you know, we're mutually agreeing to part ways. I think this thing was canceled. I mean, yeah. that's, that's the statement sounds like it's sort of covering for this thing wasn't working, and Spotify is moving on because they don't think they can get their money back. Right, and I think that's correct. And I don't think anything is really turning out for Meghan and Harry the way they thought it would. Yeah, look, I wonder if there's also just some people, you know, sort of, there's some fatigue. We've heard all the stories. He's released the book's fair. We've seen him go to his father's coronation alone and act awkwardly and then fly right back home. What more is there to, to learn about these two? They're going to need to have another act. There's going to need to be another big story to generate interest because right now her talking about archetypes or whatever sort of yeah. things she wanted to talk about on her podcast, uh, I don't think that was do what people were interested in. Not at all. Well, it'll be interesting because, as I said before, they're li- literally some of the most unpopular people to ever be this famous. Um, so we'll see how long it lasts. Well, thank you so it's much, remarkable. Derek, as always. And I wanted to congratulate you on your starring in TMZ and also on f- becoming the father of my four-year-old grandson, Carter. That's right. That's right. The, the, little, the littlest one is now like a full-grown boy. It's, it's a lot of fun. Amen. All right, kid. Thanks. I'll talk to you real soon. Bye, everyone. All right. That does it for me today. And uh, my plan, I actually don't have any plans. How about that? But if I did have a plan, I'd see you all on Monday. God bless you and God bless the USA. The Joyce Kaufman Podcast has been brought to you by Code Red Roofers, South Florida's leading residential and commercial roof experts. Code Red Roofers, roofers that respond. Call 844-4-CODE-RED or visit coderedroofers.com.